Okay, so good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome. It's so nice to have all of you here. Um, can you please tell your neighbor that you are blessed? Tell your neighbor, I'm blessed. Okay, and tell your neighbor, you're blessed. Amen. Why? Because you are. You're in the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. The Bible says that he has uh, made his abode with us. Amen. So he abides in us and he is with us wherever we go. And uh, that's super exciting, isn't it? You know, for the last couple of times that um, I've shared, I've, I've, I've kind of tried to help um, people understand that um, what the intent is with me personally when it comes to sharing the word. And what drives me is the scripture in 2 Timothy where it talks about in chapter 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is used for teaching and for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So the whole point behind us sharing anything with you is so that we can help encourage you to walk out the righteousness that God has given you. That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. Never, ever have I ever wanted to be up here to do anything else other than provoke you to righteousness. That's my only intention. And so I hope that this morning you will allow the Holy Spirit to use what He shares through me to provoke you to righteousness. Because if you believe that you are the best Formula One car driver, then you don't have a problem in racing a Formula One car. And that's the truth about what you believe. But if you believe that you can't drive a Formula One car, then you won't get into a Formula One car and you won't drive it. Someone can give you a Formula One car and it can be yours, but you can still not get in it or drive it because you don't have the confidence that you can handle the Formula One car. And I hope that makes sense to everybody. Because I really want you to understand that unless we get into the Formula One car and begin to drive it, we don't actually become good at racing that car. And righteousness is something that the Bible says we, we have been given. And then the Bible says, now put it on. It says, now put it on. And so this morning, as we go through Galatians 4, 21 to 31, I want you to keep in mind just how many times... We limit God to our ability, and how, ma how many times we limit God to what we are capable of doing, instead of extending ourselves to the point where we know that unless God is in this, it's never going to work. And so I, I trust that you will really be inspired by this morning, because there's some deep, should I say, things that have been hidden for a long time for many people. And that it were revealed by Paul, and he's unpacking this whole thing to the Galatians with the intent purpose of trying to get them to see the folly of their decision to go back under tradition and law. Because by them going back under tradition and law just for the sake of appearance, as Lee so nicely pointed out last week, so that they might get away with, you know, just the normal exemption that they had been given so that it still looked the same and they could continue believing secretly whatever they wanted to 
still there was an issue because it would fundamentally change what they were demonstrating they believed. And so how you live cannot be disconnected from who you are. How you live is who you are. And if you believe what the Bible says about who you are, then how you live will change. Not because someone tells you, yes, the next seven steps to living a better life, but because someone has reminded you of who you really are. So you put away the lies and you begin to walk out the truth. So when relying on your own strength doesn't work. In Galatians, Paul um, speaks about this, but these are the three main takeaways I hope you take away. So if you write these down and anyone says to you, what did you take away from this Sunday message? Guess what? You'll have um, the answers already ready for them. Hallelujah. This is the worst thing, right? Like five days later, they say, what did, what did the guy preach on? And you're like, was it again? <laughs> and it happens to all of us. It's just the way that it is. So number one, the sons of the promise are free. Can I hear an amen in the house? Are you free? Yes, the sons in the house are free. And ladies, you are also sons, so you're included. Okay? All right? I'm not, dis- I'm not excluding anyone. Okay? And then secondly, let God keep his own promise. Hands off, China. Let God keep his own promise. And you're going to see what I mean by that because the, the, Paul basically shows us just how many problems we create for ourselves when we try and do what only God can do in our own strength. And then the last one I want you to take away is we are the children of promise. And sometimes it might be obvious, but the reality is sometimes you need to remind yourself that you are the child of promise when everything looks like it's nothing like the promise. Amen? Right. So, the sons of the promise are free. Galatians 4.21 says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's interesting how Paul frames that question. Because he's, he's saying, all you who are trying to go back to law and religion... Are you not listening to your own teachings? It's kind of like the inference on the question. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So how many sons Abraham had was significant because Paul is going to show us that there was a difference between the son that he got from Hagar and the son that he got From Sarah. Watch this. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. So if you're in your Bibles, you can put there, underline, under, according to the flesh. That means it wasn't something that was done according to the spirit. It was something that was done according to the flesh. So you can do things in the flesh without actually doing them in the spirit. So it's important for us to understand that sometimes we're so used to and indoctrinated almost in our lives into relying on our own flesh that we don't even consider relying on the Spirit 
in those particular instances. And it's important for us to be aware of that so we can make an adjustment. Because you will get way more done relying on the Spirit than you will relying on the flesh. Okay. Oh, hold on. So, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So we are sons by promise. Because we are free. And sons of the promise are free. We're not in bondage. We're not under rules and regulations. We're in relationship. That's a fundamental difference if you had a relationship with someone based purely on a list of do's and don'ts, you would not have a relationship, you'd have a contract. So God creates a blood covenant with us, but he does it on the basis of relationship. He doesn't do it based on a purely transactional relationship, which is what the law is trying to present to you. Now, we have a tendency as people to like this idea of leaning on this, you do this and you get that. But the reality is that when you fail to do this, you don't get that, and you begin to beat yourself up about not doing this, then it leads to not doing this more. And eventually you find yourself so disheartened that you end up giving up, and now it doesn't make a difference what you do. And this has happened to all of us. How many of you uh, uh, as children can remember that when you were caught doing something you shouldn't have done, you ran away. And that was because you were afraid of something. You were afraid of punishment. But was, your, was the punishment due? Like, was it right that there should be a consequence to the action? You sh- otherwise, you don't learn that there are consequences to actions, right? But you didn't want to run to the punishment you wanted to run away from the punishment because that's what we all want to do. We're all afraid of punishment. But when your mother and your father have taught you that if you come to them and you, and you speak to them, then they can give you grace and they can help you fix the situation, then for the most part, you're in a situation where you want to run to them the minute you mess up because you know that they're the only ones who can help you. So your relationship with them determines how you respond in a time where you are in need. And this is ultimately what God is trying to restore with us. Now, remember, when God makes a promise, the promise maker must be the promise keeper. If you, if you, if you make a promise, then you should keep it. So if God makes a promise, then he will keep it. Now, if you make a promise to someone, you say to them, listen, I'm going to make sure that for the next month you have enough fuel in your car, no matter where you want to go, I promise you, then what are you expecting? I would imagine you're expecting that that your car is not going to be without fuel for the whole week. That would be the outcome. And who would keep it? Would you go to the petrol station and put the fuel in yourself And then expect them to just pay it? Or would you expect them to come and put the fuel in? Right, because they're the ones who have to keep the promise. So, I want to tell you about this allegory that Paul uses. 
Because how many of you are familiar with the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar? This is a very important story because Paul basically uses this to explain the difference between the covenants that we find ourselves in. And he compares Sarah and Hagar to two different mountains. Now, before we get into that, let me just show you. There's a couple of things I want you to understand about the story with Sarah and Hagar. Number one is that God had promised to Abraham a son, but Sarah was barren and Abraham was old. Now, if God says to you, I'm going to give you a son and you are 80 and your husband is 75, what do you think? I'm sure many of you can relate to this, thinking, what a nonsense impossibility in your mind because of all the complications that could happen. But you can see that when God made this problem, promise, Abraham took it seriously, right? And he was waiting on God for this promise to manifest. But the promise to Abraham was that through his seed, the nations would be blessed. That was the promise. And so unless Abraham had a son, there would be no descendants, and Jesus would not have come onto the scene through the lineage of Abraham. So it was as important to God to keep his promise as it was to Abraham. Because it was God's plan. It was his idea. So when you find out what God's plan is, and what his ideas are, and you align yourself with them, you might set yourself up for this really interesting thing called success. Amen? Because many are the plans of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So align yourself with God, and you will prosper, not because God is withholding anything from you, but because the ways of the Lord are prosperous. Amen? All right, so Sarah then decides, listen, I'm barren. Abraham, you're getting old. Before the time is up, maybe we should try and help God out. Right? Let's, listen, I've got this Egyptian lady. She's not too bad looking. And um, maybe you can marry her, and then you can have a child with her, and then that will be where you'll get the fulfillment of this promise. So, Abraham's like, okay, babe, if you say so. Am I right? So, off he goes. And it's clear, Abraham wasn't the one with the problem. Amen. Sarah was the one with the problem. She couldn't have babies. So it's interesting because in order for it to be something God did, it would have to be something that's beyond natural ability. Otherwise, we could dispute that that was just a natural phenomenon. But God making sure that they were both dead and barren before he came and fulfilled his promise was to make sure that it wouldn't rely on human effort, but on the Spirit of God. How amazing is that? 
So Hagar conceives a child and becomes conceited towards Sarah. Let me tell you, whenever you try and fulfill God's promises in the flesh, oh, Jesus, help us. (laughs) Problems, man. (laughs) Heart-wrenching, soul-destroying, emotional roller coaster problems. Am I right? So whenever you try and create an Ishmael, you end up with a legacy of, of problems. But does it make the promise void? The promise still stands. What I'm trying to show you is that Abraham trying to fulfill God's promise in the flesh did not annul God's commitment to keep his promise. So it wasn't even dependent on Abraham. It was dependent on whether he believed that God would still do it. And so often what happens is we cut ourselves off by thinking that something we did has now qualified us to be disqualified. You, you, I don't know, you have an accident, you break your arm or something happens, and then the first thing is God is trying to teach me. God is trying to remind me. God, I did something wrong. God is trying to help me learn. God's got the Holy Spirit for that. He doesn't need a broken arm. Yeah? Because he loves us, right? God doesn't need to break us in order to heal us. We are already healed. We have one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's called the accuser of the brethren. Jesus came that we may have life and have this life in abundance. So Sarah deals with Hagar harshly and is eventually expelled. So that gives you a little bit of, of a context. Now, can you guys see this picture? Is it clear? Can you see the top of the mountain? Do you see that dark part on top of the mountain? Do you see it? That's not a cloud, okay? That mountain is scorched. The mountain there is burnt. It's all burnt on top of that mountain. This is Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is where God physically descended in fire and smoke and lightning. On the mountain. A real place where God came to speak to his people. Now, Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai is, as we know, where God spoke to Moses about him dwelling amongst the people. And so God comes down. And he gives Moses instructions on how to purify the people so that, they, so that they would be able to come up onto the mountain. So he gives him instructions for purification. And they go through all the purification instructions. And when they're ready, by the time they're ready, the people are so scared because of what they're seeing. The lightning, the thunder, the fire, all on this mountain with the evidence still being there. That they say to Moses, this guy's a bit rough, eh? We we don't want to really go up there. He's a bit rough. We don't like his tone. He's a bit rough. You go speak to him, Moses, and then you come tell us what we should do. And we will do whatever you say. 
Am I right? So, God, le- God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They arrive at Mount Sinai. He descends on Mount Sinai in fire. The people are afraid of God, and they tell Moses to speak to God for them. And then the law is given because the people believe they can keep God's commandments without God. Do you understand what I mean? That they could live according to the moral standard of God without God actually helping them to live up to that standard. Because if God dwelt amongst them, would they then feel free to just murder one another and lie to one another and take one another's wives and commit all these sins that clearly the law says we shouldn't do? Why would they not? Because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, would be among them and He would be guiding them. Oh, so you mean, Mark, a Holy Spirit is also holy. 99%, or maybe even 100%, let me say 100% of all sins, and I stand to be corrected, but I believe this to be true, 100% of all sins is because you think that you lack something. You don't know you're holy. When you are whole and lacking nothing, You don't need anything. You don't need affirmation. You don't need encouragement. You don't need anything because you are encouraged and you encourage others. God is a God that flows outward. God doesn't suffer from heavy introspection. He's constantly looking outward because he's okay. And when we're constantly trying to find out what's wrong with us, instead of just getting on with helping people get free from what's holding them, we end up becoming so self-critical that we end up trying to fix ourselves. Guys, you can't fix yourself. If it was possible, the law would have worked. The law would have worked. You wouldn't have needed Jesus. You would have been able to fix yourself. But the reality is the law didn't work. And in fact, what Paul is showing us here is that there are literally these two allegories that represent two different covenants. So watch this. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. Bearing children for slavery. So what does the law produce? It produces slaves. So the law doesn't produce free sons. It produces slaves. And you know what happens, guys? When, When you can't fix yourself, you try and fix other people. Oh, Jesus. Because it's easier to fix other people. Because if you can find people who are worse than you, then at least you don't feel so bad about being so bad. It's, it's, a, it's a classic form of deflection. It's the reality. We've all done it at some point in our lives to try and escape whatever, condemnation or fear, whatever it is. So in reality, we need to learn how to not let the lights out. Amen? I'm sure they'll find what's going on. 
No worry, guys. Okay. Do you like the amphitheater feel? Hallelujah. All right. So these are two covenants. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to you. Oh, hold on. I just skipped a whole bunch. Sorry. Now this is, this is, okay. So yeah, okay. So when God, just to show you that God was basically not intending to give them a, a list of rules and regulations without his spirit to support them, okay? You can see in Jeremiah 7 verse 22, God is speaking about the day he brought the people out of Egypt. And he says, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave to them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. So how, how many of us have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit? I'm sure we've all heard the voice of the Holy Spirit when we're driving and He warns us to slow down or to pull over or to do something to try and protect us. And then just in general, when you're walking through your everyday life, if you're sensitive to Him speaking to you, you'll hear Him guiding you here and there and everywhere. Am I right? And so in reality, we know the voice of the Holy Spirit and we know what He sounds like. We know that He's not the one to come and condemn us He's the one to come and remind us of who we are. We know that he comes and he, and he tells us who we are in Christ because his primary function is to conform us to the image of the Son of God. That is what the Holy Spirit is currently doing with us. And Jesus said he would do that because he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. So we can see here that God clearly intended to have more than just a set of rules between himself and and his children, he chose to have disco lights during the sermon. Just, you guys don't mind me joking around about that. It's okay, all right. So now Hagar, okay, Hagar is the slave woman, right, that Abraham was with, and that's where Ishmael comes from. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Notice where Mount Sinai is. It's the one in Arabia. It's not the one in Egypt. It's the one in Arabia. So Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So that's the law that has enslaved them, right? But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, and this is the interesting part, I never understood what this prophetic word meant until I saw it in this context. Because I've read this, this word um, in the Old Testament. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of those, sorry, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And I was like, God, what are you talking about? This doesn't work. That's how I thought about it. Because number one, if you're barren, you're not having any children. Number two, without a husband, you can't have a baby. Am I right? So the reality is that this made no sense. But when I read it in this context, I realized, 
What God was saying is that where you have nothing to offer, God is more than enough. When you have nothing in yourself to offer, God is more than enough. Will you rely on him? When the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but lean on the Lord. Isn't that right? It's a very important thing for us to begin to realize that unless we are challenging ourselves to step out beyond our own comfort zones and to actually allow God to supernaturally do in our lives that which we could never do physically for ourselves, we're actually not operating in even close to the potential God has for us. We're literally putting our foot in the water and then going, oh, that's too wet and staying here. And God is calling you to take godly risk. And then he's saying, it's not really a risk because you know I've got you. So how risky is it to trust the most faithful individual in all the universe and in all time? There's no risk at all. It will feel risky to you. But your feelings are lying to you. Because God doesn't ever, ever lie. He always keeps his word. Amen? We are the children of promise. You are the children of promise. Those of you who are watching online and those of you who are here, who have decided to tune in, God is making the secrets of his kingdom available to you right now. He's revealing to you the intent of his heart and the intent of his purpose towards you. That he has good plans for you and that he wants to work with you, cooperate with you, in order to get you to walk in the fullness that he destined for you before the beginning of time. But as long as you make it about your everyday problems and those, those little anthills become bigger than God, then you can't see the wood for the trees. You've got to tell your problems about how big your God is. Not tell your God about how big your problems are. Amen? Most people believe that they need faith like a mountain to move a mustard seed. That's ridiculous. Amen? Jesus said if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will move a mountain. And there are many mountains in our lives. But the, the greater, it, it, it greater God is in your life, the more you rely on him, the more you realize just how possible everything is. Because all things are possible with God. And we are not without him. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You see, we are the children of promise. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Now, let me pause there for a second. Because as you can see, there is no way that you're going to believe in the absolute, unlimited, unjustifiable, crazy favor of God on your life. And people who are working hard to get that favor aren't going to come against you. There's no way that that's going to happen because the one is trying to earn it. The other one has already got it. And the one who's trying to earn it can't understand how you got it so easily because they've been working really hard. Let me tell you right now, 
The devil is right now going, it's not fair. He's sitting there going, it's not fair. Each one of you should get what's coming to you, but instead, God has done this thing, and now I've got to, I've got to do this illegally. He could do it legally before. Now, he can't, because Jesus has taken that legal right away. The, the record of sin that stood against you was crucified in Christ, and it was rendered zip, zero, nothing, zilch, gone. It's not against you anymore. For judges to look at your record, there'll literally be a clean page. It'll be like, what record? Do you, do you think, I mean, we, we might struggle to forget things sometimes, but when God says, I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more, do you think, do you think that it's just a joke? Do you think he's just saying that because it makes him feel good? Or is it because he actually means it? And if God is not remembering your sins and your iniquities, then who are we to remind one another of the sins done against one another? Because so many people want grace. Oh God, give me your grace. But they don't show any. Let me tell you something. To be a true steward of grace, you have to know how to get it and give it. Freely you received. Freely give. Healing happens through grace. If you can't love the person you're praying for, give up because you're in the wrong space. If you think they need to jump through a thousand hoops before they can get healed, you're putting law on them. Jesus already paid for it. It's the same in every area of our lives, guys. It's already done for us. Can we believe the promise over and above our own ability, our choice to lean on our own strength. Because God wants to take you further. He wants to take you out of that place where it's based on what you can do and into that place where he can show you what he can do. Amen? So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And that brings me to the conclusion of that. What I want to just add to this is that this allegory is so clear because if you read in Hebrews, you'll find that we do not come to Mount Sinai, but we come to Mount Zion, where there is a host of angels in joyful procession and celebration. We come into a place of celebration because the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth has taken away the sins of the world. Amen.